So our, our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. So we're about halfway through our series on the book of Acts here, and uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 8, and in chapter 8, uh, we, we saw Philip, part of the dispersion out of, out of Jerusalem because of the violent persecution that erupted, he went to Samaria, and I won't reteach that message, but I wanted to preface that because as Philip after he finished with the, the eunuch, he was then transported to another town where he continued to preach the gospel. He ended up living in a, uh, a town called excuse me, Caesarea. That's not it, Caesarea, and uh, which is where part of the the section of passage we're going to look at here today takes place. So Philip, also known as Philip the Evangelist, is living in Caesarea. His family's there. He's evangelizing. And yet the Holy Spirit calls on Peter to go to Caesarea to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And isn't it interesting because God had an evangelist in Caesarea, probably just around the corner from Cornelius' house. Yet he has a purpose for bringing Peter to Caesarea, doesn't he? And it's, we're going to look at that here today in, in uh, chapters 10 through 12. So up until this point, pretty much every, every Sunday's message has been on one chapter, and I get to preach on three chapters today. So we're going to try and get you out of here by two. <laughs> Um, and I hope you brought a lunch. Um, so it, as we look at that, you can follow along in your Bible. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you if you need it, or you, you know, your printed, your electronic Bible app, whatever it is, your, your flavor of the word that you like. And uh, since there is so much contained within three chapters, I'm going to kind of be skipping along the surface and diving into what I feel the Holy Spirit has led me to, uh, to teach on here today. So as we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time and this opportunity to be in this place, to worship you, Lord, to look at your word together, and to have you bring that application into our hearts, Lord. We're gathered here not to hear me speak, but to hear your Holy Spirit bring your message, Lord. So get me and all my issues out of the way, so that you can speak clearly to all of us, Lord. We just give you all the glory and praise and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in verse 1 of uh, chapter 10, at, C at C Caesarea, thank you, 
there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius was a Roman centurion, meaning he was a captain of a hundred men in the Roman guard, and uh, a Gentile. And Luke describes him here as a devout man who feared God, meaning he was following the God of the Jews. He was a Gentile. Uh, Picking it up again in three. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he began, excuse me, and he, began, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we can see here God is speaking clearly to Peter, but does Peter understand what God is showing him here? He's, you know, he's, well, as it says in 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So why did God send the vision of clean and unclean animals to Peter three times? How does keeping the kosher diet law relate to what Peter will soon experience in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? seems like they're two very different things if you stop and look at and examine what's going on here. Peter's framework of thinking was this. God had commanded the Jewish people through Moses what animals were clean and unclean. Leviticus 11 goes into detail regarding what animals may or may not be eaten. It ends with this statement in verses 46 and 47. 
This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the ceremonial unclean and the ceremonially clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. So that was part of the Mosaic law that they had. So does God contradict himself here in this vision? But in the vision, Peter was given, the Lord commanded him to kill and eat. Peter was responding to God's command according to the law of Moses. Maybe this is why he, Peter, was inwardly perplexed. Didn't this vision and command contradict Jewish law as Peter understood it? Would God give a command which contradicts his own laws? No, we know that. It's important to understand the breakdown of Jewish laws. In Matthew 5.17, we read Jesus' statement regarding the law. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we know there is a place for the law, but was that for all the laws by the leaders of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin? There are only ten laws given to Moses by God, but Moses, the Mosaic law, has 613 laws of application given by Moses to the people. But wait, there's more. The Mishnah is the oral law in Judaism, as opposed to the written Mosaic law in the Torah. The Mishnah was collected and committed to writing about A.D. 200 and forms part of the Talmud. In Judaism, the Talmud is just as important as the Hebrew Bible. It is used to explain the laws that may not be clear in Scripture. But only God, excuse me, what God only needed 10 commandments for man. Keeping it simple, the Jews made complex. So while following 613 Mosaic laws would be hard enough, over time Jewish leaders began to add to these laws in the Mishnah. The original intent of these additions was to clarify the law. But it ended up adding complicated regulations, literally thousands of new commands that were created to clarify the original 613 commands, which came from the original 10 commandments of God. So you can see what happens when man gets a hold of things. For example, the Mosaic Law, one of the commands to keep the Sabbath holy, which means Jews were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But to clarify this, the Jewish scholars created 39 separate categories of what work means. And within those 39 categories, there are many subcategories. So to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are literally thousands of sub-rules to follow. So breaking down the Jewish laws helps us to understand why Peter was perplexed by his vision, doesn't it? The only written doctrine he had to fall back on was the Torah, the law, and the Talmud, the explanation and clarification of the laws. But with belief leading to salvation in Jesus, he had entered into the new covenant of grace by faith. So how and where does the new covenant fit within the Jewish laws and regulations? Later, Peter would write in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
Initially, Peter was resistive to what the Holy Spirit was showing him because of his understanding of the Jewish laws and regulations. He did not yet know what the vision meant. The Holy Spirit was simply preparing his heart and mind for what was to come. So part of what's going on here is we can see Peter's perplexion in trying to consider the vision with his context on Jewish law. But there's also another facet here, and that's God's promise to Abraham. And it's hindered by the, the Mishnah, the man-made laws and regulations. So the Holy Spirit was preparing Peter for the Torah, and or our Bible contained the promise God had made to Abraham. Genesis twenty-two eighteen, Through your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have heard and obeyed my voice. And then again in Galatians 3, 8, the scripture, foreseeing what God would justify, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the good news of the Savior to Abraham in advance with this promise, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So why did Peter need the vision of unclean animals to be prepared to preach to Cornelius? Peter would be required to surrender all his previously held thinking and bias as to what was clean and unclean in order to be used to preach the gospel to the Gentiles as Abraham was promised by God, wouldn't he? So the the laws, these regulations were creating a hindrance between Jewish believers and Gentiles in regard to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So this is covering thousands of years of time, and it's being brought to a head here in Peter's heart and his mind. With the complexity of Jewish laws and regulations, it is understandable how a bias or prejudice against the Gentiles would develop. What had started as a simple command in the Mosaic Law to not intermarry with other people groups as they developed the nation of Israel was twisted into complete segregation from Gentiles. In fact, if a Jew were to pass a Gentile on a road that had any sort of camp or slope to it, the Jewish person had to make sure that they were on the up slope side from the Gentile because a Gentile could not look down upon the head of a Jew. That's just one of the little dot and tittles that are in their regulations. Still trying to live under the mandates of pharisaical laws, the legalism of those man-made regulations, Peter's vision would be troubling to him for sure. He was still pondering the meaning of the vision as he arrived at Cornelius' house. So picking up the scripture again here in 1028, he said to them, you know that it is unlawful for a Jewish man to associate with or befriend a Gentile or even to visit him. Peter's understanding was still being filtered through where the laws of God fit in his faith with Jesus, in Jesus. We are witnessing the Holy Spirit intervening in Peter's understanding, breaking down ingrained thinking and false beliefs which diverted from God's promise for Jesus as the Savior for the entire world. We see God is about to uproot wrong thinking in Peter. 
Didn't we see the same thing occur in Saul's life last week too? In Acts 9.15, Holy Spirit is speaking to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Saul was called for a specific purpose by God. Saul had been given the highest level of training in Israel, an education of the Torah, which was focused on knowing, understanding, and upholding all those laws. But he apparently missed the teaching of the prophecy of Messiah, which was in the Torah as well, didn't he? Wouldn't this kind of training have led to why the Jewish leaders missed their Messiah? In fact, killed him and led Saul to violently persecute Jesus' followers as well? But Peter makes the connection. Continuing in, in 1028, Peter says, And yet God has shown me that I am not to call anyone common or clean. Therefore, when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. So I ask, for what reason have you sent me? I'm coming back to this thing you've heard me say a few times here now. Peter, the ordinary and it, it comes out of Acts 4. Peter, the ordinary, untrained, and uneducated follower of Jesus, has a breakthrough here. In this one statement, we see him connect to the vision, understand the greater authority of the new covenant in Jesus over the law, and step out of legalism and into the freedom of faith in Christ alone. Praise God. Peter shares the gospel message from his experiences with Jesus his personal relationship with the Messiah, and by personal application in his own life, the forgiveness, surrender, and transforming power at work in him and others with the Gentiles. Let me back up there. And transforming power at work within him and others with the Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house. And what happens while he is speaking to them? Acts 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to the message, confirming God's acceptance of the Gentiles. All the circumcised believers, those would be the Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them talking in unknown tongues and languages and exalting and magnifying and praising God. So Peter's change of heart, change of understanding, it, it has an infectious change about it. Does Peter's obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading impact other Jewish believers there with him? It changes their understanding of the authority of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Then Peter said, can anyone refuse water to these people to be baptized since they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay there for a few days. This is an amazing and powerful transforming event happening here. The veil has been lifted off of Peter's understanding and thinking and bias. And then others, by the surrendering of that same thinking and bias that they had been ingrained in through their Jewish regulations... In order to have God's plan revealed, his promise back from Abraham brought forward at this time, at this moment. But this transformed thinking 
would meet op opposition. So meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, you know, Peter and, and the other Jewish believers go back to, uh, to Jerusalem and share what they've experienced. You would think that as more are added to the faith in Jesus, there would be excitement and support. So what happens when Peter gets back to Jerusalem and shares what the Holy Spirit did with the Gentiles at Cornelius' house? In 11, verses 2 and 3, we pick it up. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, certain Jewish believers who followed the law, took issue with him for violating Jewish customs, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, and you even ate with them. I mean, they're just shocked. They're they're appalled. Did the Jewish believers understand at this point the words of Jesus in Luke twenty-two twenty, And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So it requires us getting, or them getting their priorities straight, doesn't it? Which has greater authority here? The law? and all of its man-made regulations, or the new covenant in Jesus Christ by his blood. Jesus would have authority over the previous covenant, the law, yet that understanding was not easily reached for the Jewish believers. Jesus, at the Last Supper, had planted the seed which was going to produce the fruit of understanding by application and break down the barrier which separated Jewish believers from fulfilling the promise God had made to Abraham. Salvation by grace is the new covenant paid for by the blood of Jesus. It has authority over all things, and it is for all who believed, including the Gentiles. And this is what the Jewish believers are coming to realize, and it's being confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Legalism is the act of putting law above gospel. By establishing requirements for salvation beyond repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to narrow and rigid moral codes. Was it the intention of Peter initially or these other believers later to put anything above faith in Jesus? No. Legalism can be so devastating to believers for this reason when we get the understanding of it out of its proper place. Chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. How am I doing so far? Are you following me? Good. Great. If I just tried to speak from my heart, I would get lost. I have to, I have to follow through it. I'm, this is the second time I've done this, so I'm an untrained, uneducated, ordinary man. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the, word that no one speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, which are the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A new way of understanding opens the door to the Gentiles. What happens when the Holy Spirit changes Peter's understanding and he testifies to the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house? Those who heard his testimony 
have their understanding changed as well and begin preaching the gospel message to Gentiles too. Do you think God knew this would happen? Yeah. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Our testifying to others can have a powerful impact on them, can't it? And that's what we see Peter doing here. And then what the others are doing, they're just testifying. So towards the end of chapter 11, we see Barnabas goes to Antioch and then brings Paul there to preach and teach too. Chapter 12 starts off with more violence and persecution against believers. Evil continues to oppose the gospel. Herod kills James, the brother of John, and imprisons Peter, intending on having him executed as well. But God still has plans for Peter. Starting in verse 6 of 12. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, and they came to the iron gate leading into the city, it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. That would be quite an experience, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, one, Peter's sound asleep. He's in prison and he's going to be executed the next day. He's sound asleep. Chained to two guards. So much so that the angel has to, what's it say? Strike him. Wake him up. And then he's just kind of, he's following along until he's out in the clear. And then kind of, wow, what happened? The continual opposition leading to persecution surrounded the early church and continues today. I, I think back on the video that we watched for chapter 8 and the priest in Iraq who was kidnapped and tortured for nine days. And then once he's healed and he's better, he doesn't leave the country. He goes right back to the church and he continues preaching to the people. That's boldness. That's courage. That's being surrendered and committed to your Savior and Lord. The profound thing we see here is how God intervenes and brings Peter out of prison, an inevitable death sentence before Herod. And again, it's three chapters, and I'm going to be skipping through some things here. We see the girl's joy at hearing Peter's voice. Uh, speaks to the passion and love that we have for fellow believers as they're facing challenges and sharing in that with them. And as an encouragement for sure, but we're going to leave that right there for now. Picking up again in verses 18 and 19, now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Like so many other tyrants, Herod was a man of no mercy, even for those who served him faithfully. Verses 20 through 25. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they, be, they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, and because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Not only is God just, but he doesn't share his glory with any man. Judgment came to Herod in that moment. He assumed that which was for God alone. The authority of Jesus and the gospel on display. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. We just continue to see that no matter what is happening here in the lives and the stories of all of these men in the book of Acts, that the preeminent word of God, his gospel, his new covenant continues to go forth. And those who stand opposed to God suffer greatly. But so do those who, who speak his gospel as well. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So, the last slide. There we go. What we have witnessed in these, pa in these passages are men who are willing to, by faith, believe, by trust, surrender, and in obedience, follow their Savior Jesus, laying everything else in their lives aside, to live under the blessing, guidance, and authority of the Holy Spirit. Is any of that beyond our ability to do as well? So God has shown us here in Peter that, and this is the same Peter who was with Jesus, who said some crazy things, who denied him, who was trying to get his faith and his relationship with his Lord right and sorted out, and who is the same one on Pentecost who spoke to the crowds and 3,000 people came to the Lord at that time. God was using him, wasn't he? He was, he was an instrument to bring the gospel message to the nation of Israel, and we see here to begin bringing it to the Gentiles. But Peter had an issue in his heart, didn't he? His thinking was still a little bit sideways on where this new covenant in Jesus Christ fit with the law. Was it to be brought into the law? As we see some of the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem contended with him on here, or was it to have authority over the law? And we know that it's to have that authority over all things. The the gospel of Jesus is greater than everything. So it's hopefully with explaining a little bit of the law, we understand that God doesn't contradict himself. He didn't contradict himself here that God is not under any obligation to uphold the laws of man. 
that are in conflict with his promises and his precepts and his laws. And so we, I mean, we face that here today in this nation, in this world, where these laws are just, are, are not just. They're not right. They're not according to biblical law. They're not according to God's Ten Commandments. And yet, you know, they would want to, in some places and in some cases, interfere with the, the preaching of the gospel, wouldn't they? And to go ahead, go forward and preach it, as we see here in the, in the, in the book of Acts, there were consequences at times for some of the believers. James, the brother of John, was executed. John the Baptist was executed. Jesus himself was crucified, and that was contrary to Jewish law and the way that they did it. So there's this conflict that is, continues between the gospel and Jesus Christ and the opposition and, and laws of man. Is the Holy Spirit speaking a new understanding to you as we look at this? Do you know Jesus at a personal level, which continues to grow deeper as you study his word and pray for the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit? There's a, a simple ABCs of salvation in Jesus Christ that uh, I've seen. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus is Lord. And C, call on his name. It's that simple. Just like the Ten Commandments are very straightforward. It's, it's we humans who get things more complicated than they need to be. What application from these passages will you take out of here today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the depth and breadth and power of your word at work in our hearts and minds, Lord. You break down barriers that are built by man so that your glory and your kingdom and your salvation can reign in authority over each one of us individually and bring unity in the spirit. We give you glory and praise for what you're doing. Press this word deep into our hearts and cause it to bring change of heart and change of life to us into your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.